What have been some of the happiest moments in your entire life? I asked this question at first service, and some said it was their, their wedding. Uh, others reference other life experiences, like having a baby, having a child, having a family. What makes you the happiest? You know, Jesus gives us an idea of what will make you truly happy. What is it that will, that will thrill you to the very bottom of your heart? And I think that it's crucial that we grasp it. And I long for uh, my little girls to grasp this, to know what it is that will give them joy in life, what it is that will be most fulfilling. And I want for you and me to grasp that more fully today than ever before. And we're just going to look at a simple story in John chapter 13. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to open there with me. We'll also have the verses on the screen, but open to John chapter 13. And here we find Jesus on the verge of that incredible experience of going through Gethsemane and the cross. But before that happens, he has a meal to share with his disciples. And John 13 picks it up this way. John chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father. So, so Jesus knows that, that this is the end. And, and he knows what this departure means. It means bearing all of that shame, all of that guilt that has accumulated from humanity to experience that at a soul level. His psyche is going to be burdened with that to the point of death in the Garden of Gethsemane. But notice that that's not what he's thinking about as he knows that this is about what is about to happen. His exodus is about to happen. His departure is about to happen. Notice what it says. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the what? He loved them to the very end. He just didn't stop Loving them. That's who your God is. That's who Jesus is. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, who was it that he was loving? Notice what the next verse says. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Who is it that he's loving? It's people who have demonic thoughts. It's people who are backstabbing. It's people who are going to betray him. It's people who don't have Jesus best in mind. It's people who are unworthy of his love. They're seated around a table, and Jesus is going to love them to the very end. Verse 3 continues. Or actually, first, let's think about what's happening in this environment at the table. As Jesus looks at the table, we pick up something from Luke chapter 22, which is also depicting what is happening there in the upper room. It says this, verse 24. Now, there were also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Okay, so on Jesus' mind is I'm about to experience the cross. I'm going to go through this for uh, all of humanity. I'm going to become the Savior in a bigger way. What are the disciples thinking about? Which of us is going to be the greatest? And, and Desire of Ages highlights that they're cherishing in mind this thought of a Messiah who is coming to destroy the Romans, who's going to lead the armies. And as they think about this, obviously their thought is, well, how can I exalt myself against the others among the group? And they want to become the greatest. Jesus looks at this. Can you imagine what's going on in the heart and mind of Jesus to look out at his disciples? He's walked with them for three years, and here they are at this special moment. They should be worrying about him, but instead they're focused on themselves and who's going to be the greatest in his kingdom. 
Notice what questions Desire of Ages highlights. may have been going through the mind of Jesus, page 644. It says, how was Christ to bring these poor souls when, where Satan would not gain the, over them a decided victory? You know, I want that for my life. I want for Jesus to bring me. I want for him to bring you to a place where Satan cannot have victory over me anymore. How could that happen? How could he show that a mere profession of discipleship did not make them disciples or ensure them a place in his kingdom? It wasn't just about what they knew. It wasn't just that they confessed the name of Jesus. That that wasn't enough. How did he, how did he help them to grasp that? What could he say to them? Another question. How could he show that it is loving service, true humility, which constitutes real greatness? How could he show them that it's, it's not about the, the things that I've accomplished on a, a scale with my work, or it's not the things that I accomplished in my leadership, even of the church. It's about what I have done in loving service, true humility that constitutes real greatness. And it goes on to say, how was he to kindle love in their hearts and enable them to comprehend what he longed to tell them? We need that. We need revival. We need a kindling of love in our hearts. How does that take place? Jesus at this point could have stood up and told them a lot of different things. But in that moment, rather than speaking, he chose to act. He chose to be an example And this, my friends, this is the greatest testimony to the world around us. It's the lives that Christ leads us to live. Verse 3 continues in John chapter 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going to God, knowing that he had all power. This is incredible. It tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So it wasn't like from the cradle in Bethlehem, that Jesus just knew, I came from the Father and I have all power, he grew in wisdom. He grew in knowledge. Just as a little child grows to grasp the world, he came to understand his mission and his purpose. And here he has fully understood that I am the I am. I am going back to God and all things have been given to me. I have all power. How does the one being in all the universe who has all the power behave? The one who is the most powerful? Verse 4. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. You know, this is hard for us to grasp in our society, but this is an honor, shame-based society. And to to take off your robe, to, to gird yourself like a servant, would be so incredibly shameful. And a teacher was the one who was every beck and call was to be ministered to. Anything that he needed, anything that he commanded was to be done instantly. If he was to be the Messiah, he was supposed to be commanding armies, not dressing like a servant, not doing some menial task. But he took off his robe. He humbled himself. And he girded himself with a towel. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. If you ever wonder, does God care about the details of my life? He cares about the dirt between your toes. I'm here to tell you that you have a God who loves you so much that he would wash your feet if they were dirty. My guess is most of you have had a shower this morning, so that's not the highest concern in your life. But Jesus cares. He numbers the hairs on your head. He loves you infinitely. As he goes around to the disciples washing their feet, 
we are just given this, this one interchange that takes place in John's gospel. Verse 6, then he came to Simon Peter. Of course, Simon, the one who's always spouting off. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? You're not really going to wash my feet, are you, Jesus? I don't think I can handle this. And Jesus explains to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. He knew that, that even in the act of doing this, it wasn't going to fully make sense or click for the disciples. That it was going to be later as they're praying in the same upper room that they begin to grasp that their mission was not about exalting themselves, but about serving the world in love. And so he says, you're not going to fully understand this, but this is what I'm going to do right now. Well, Peter answered and said to him, you will never wash my feet. No way, Jesus. I know a lot better than you. There is no way that I'm letting you wash my feet. Now, here can come in a crucial problem for us, especially as Americans. We like to handle things ourselves. Have you ever offered to do something for your neighbor? Like, hey, I'll help you out with this or I'll help you out with that. Have you noticed how reticent Americans are to accept help? We like to help ourselves. We don't like to humble ourselves to feel like anybody needs to give us any money. Anybody needs to help us with anything. And this can be a hindrance to our coming in contact with Jesus. Because we need everything from Jesus. If we think that we can contribute any part of our salvation, he is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. And if I have any bit of pride that I can accomplish some of it, I won't be standing there on the sea of glass saying, worthy is the lamb, because I will think that I'm worthy and I'm not. Peter said, you will never wash my feet. Notice what Jesus says to him. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. You can't stay with me if you don't allow me to humbly come close to you and serve you to take care of your every need. Notice what it says in Desire of Ages, page 644. It says, the truest humility is to receive with thankful heart any provision made in our behalf and with earnestness do service for Christ. True humility is to say, okay, Jesus, I need your help in absolutely everything. I can't walk through this day without you. I cannot handle being a parent. I cannot handle being a spouse. I cannot handle being a teacher. I cannot handle any part of my life without you. I need you, Jesus. That is true humility, recognizing and receiving his love with a thankful heart. Verse 9 continues, Simon Peter then said to him, Lord, not my feet only, also my hands and my head. Wash all of me, absolutely everything then, Jesus. Friends, I want to invite you to have this type of attitude. Say, Jesus, I'm all in. I want you to wash all of me. I want every nook and cranny of my soul to be washed. I want a new heart. I want to be totally made new. I can't do it on my own anymore. I need you, Jesus. Well, Verse 12, we, we pick up the story. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, whoops, can you start me again? I'm sorry for that. <clears throat> push play again. I pushed the wrong button. That's my fault. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, I want you to notice what this verse brings out. It says, number one, the primary factor, the, what motivates us is not just go out and wash each other's feet. 
I want you to understand, when Jesus is applying this, I believe that we participate in this as a symbol that is important, but Jesus is wanting something bigger than that, that is described throughout the Bible of loving our neighbor as ourself, loving the people around us. This is what he's talking about when he says we should wash one another's feet. But as he's saying this, notice that he doesn't start with, hey, go out and wash your neighbor's feet. What does he start with? He starts with what he's done. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, if you've experienced this, in the verses before this, he tells them, because I've washed your feet, you are clean. But not all of you, because Judas is going to betray me. Because you have accepted this love and mercy in your life, you're able to serve. If you want a kindling in your heart to be able to serve and love and wash people's feet around you symbolically, to be there for them, It starts with opening up your heart wide, like we've been talking about, to receive the love of Jesus more and more fully. If I recognize I don't have this heart to serve, it is about me. All I care about, like the disciples, is me and my stuff and my house and my money and taking care of my job. If that's the story of your life, rather than trying to focus on changing that, focus on his love and how much he's loved you. And as you focus on that, pray that he will lead you to a life of selfless service for others. Verse 15, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. He waited to give them words until he had given them an action, something that they would never forget, something that would have been unforgettable. You think about it, as he's washing their feet, their dusty feet that would be caked with mud, would be caked with filth from the streets where animals were walking and, and doing their business. As he's washing their feet, each person's Feet not being clean, it could have taken a minute, two minutes, I don't know. They're there in awkward silence watching Jesus do this for 15 minutes, half an hour, maybe longer. They're never going to forget this moment. Watching what Jesus is doing. He says, I've given you this example that you too should take off the the prideful things in your life. Take off your, your garments and serve the world around you with radical love. Stop making it about me. And make it about the people around me. Desire of Ages, page 644, says, What was this love like? This love that was to compel them? His love for them was not easily disturbed or quenched. Is that good news to you this morning? I don't know about you, but I need that in my life. I need to recognize something about God's love. His love for you, his love for me, is not easily disturbed or quenched. We learned last week that it is like a consuming fire. It's not quenched easily. You, you can't just stumble out of God's love. He is chasing after you. He will not let you go. You can choose to harden your heart like Judas did. But he will continue to love you. Just like he washed Judas' feet first. And he did everything possible to say, Friend, why are you doing this? He was there for Judas to the very end. He loved his own to the very end. So I want you to just stay with me. Substitute his for God's love, Okay. Can you say that with me? God's love for me is not easily disturbed or quenched. Can you say that with me? God's love for me is not dis- easily disturbed or quenched. Is that good news for you? You can't easily disturb God's love. You can't easily quench his love for you. He will continue pursuing you in love. Bible Commentary, Volume 5, page 1139 says, Humility is an active principle growing out of a thorough consciousness of God's great love. You want to have more humility in your life? Recognize how much he loves you. When you're conscious of that, 
You're going to be more and more humble, just leaning in on Jesus, and will always show itself by the way in which it works. Then he concludes in verse 17 by saying, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You want a happy life? Jesus says, follow my example. You want a fulfillment? You want to know what it is to really thrive in your life? You'll be happy if you follow my example of self-sacrificing love, of serving to the very end. In Luke 22, virgin, he says, I'm among you as one who serves. Follow my example. This is what we're called to. And this is why as a church, we actually, for those of you that haven't been a part of this with us before, we actually like to do the symbol of foot washing. We usually go through this about four times a year. It's been a, we've got, not done it during the pandemic, but we actually do this practice of foot washing as a reminder. And as you do this, I want you to think about two things. I want you to think about as that person is washing your feet, think about Jesus and his infinite love for you. It, as you've done it under the least of these, you've done it under Jesus, you can see Jesus in that person. As they're washing your feet, know that, that that's the tender care that Jesus gives to your heart, mind, and soul your entire life. And then as you wash their feet, realize that this is a commitment to say, this is what I'm called to. This is what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to live in loving service to, to minister to that homeless person on the corner, to minister to my neighbor who drives me crazy, to, to minister to my boss who's mistreated me, to, to my family member, to my child, my grandchild. I'm going to put their needs above my own. I will gird myself and serve until the very end. And here's what Desire of Ages just highlights will be our experience as we do this during the foot washing. The Holy Spirit quickens the sensibilities of those who follow the example of their Lord, talking about foot washing. As the Savior's humiliation for us is remembered, thought links with thought. A chain of memories is called up, memories of God's great goodness and of the favor and tenderness of earthly friends. Blessings forgotten, mercies abused, kindnesses slighted are called to mind. Roots of bitterness that have crowded out the, the precious plant of love are made manifest. Those, those dissensions within our own household, within our church, within our community, that, that within our worries as a country about what people are doing in our country, those things will be rooted out as a part of this, just like it was for the disciples in that upper room, for all of them who didn't hard their, harden their heart except for Judas. Defects of character, neglect of duties, ingratitude to God, coldness toward our brethren are called to remembrance. Sin is seen in the light in which God views it. Our thoughts are not thoughts of self-complacency, but of severe self-censure and humiliation. The mind is energized to break down every barrier that has caused alienation. This is to give us a determination to say, no, I'm not going to let that relationship in my life die, whether it's with God or with somebody else, to say, I'm going to break down those walls of alienation. I'm going to do like Jesus and serve in order to help this love prosper on this planet. Evil thinking and evil speaking are put away. Sins are confessed. They are forgiven. The subduing grace of Christ comes into the soul, and the love of Christ draws hearts together in a blessed unity. Isn't that beautiful? This is the, the, the experience that we are invited to. As we go out and we get to go and wash each other's feet, this is the experience that we are called to have. In our hearts and minds, as we fix our eyes on the example 
Who would wash your feet today if you needed it? Who's there, more importantly, to cleanse the corners of our hearts and minds and souls from all of the filthiness that sin has created there?